As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterval slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself at no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, Kane and Unable in North London Derby as Josie leaves Arsenal looking a little pony. Elsewhere, we talk Chelsea, Sheffield United, who'd make a good referee and fail again to understand Man United. Plus, ahead of the final round of the Champions League group stage, we hear from Raphael Honigstein on United's prospects in Leipzig. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And good Lord, listener, hello to you again. It is the 7th of December, Monday morning, if you're catching this uh, as it drops. Uh, a brand new Totally Football show for you featuring uh, the vocal talents of Adrian Clark, who's still fuming about that red card at West Brom. Adrian? Yeah, fuming indeed. Um, yeah, I've had better weekends, but I'm raring to go. Good. Dion Fanning is with us, who says Arteta is going to have to exile himself next. We'll hear more about that, no doubt, from Dion and more. And Daniel Storey, who spent so long wondering whether Fulham or West Brom would break Derby County's points record, he never stopped to consider that Sheffield United might. Daniel. Yes, indeed. One point from 11 games is, I think, the worst ever points total after that amount in the Premier League. Sounds fair. All right. We all come fresh from uh, watching Liverpool Wolves, although, Adrian, you were also simultaneously re-watching the North London Derby for your breakdown, the the article that is not the, you know, state of psychological <laughs> well-being. Well, yeah, by the time I finished re-watching it, I, I might have had another breakdown. But the, um, no, it's, um, yeah, such a disappointing uh, day for, for everyone associated with Arsenal. What makes it so galling, I think, for, right. for Gunners is, is that they fell into Jose's trap. And Jose's trap was so obvious it mm. was all about the counter-attacks and Arsenal just opened the door, didn't they? They certainly did. Well, we've just seen Liverpool's 4-0 win over Wolves. A quick check on uh, the result. Saturday saw Burnley hold Everton 1-1. Man United, Jekyll and Hyde, their way to a 3-1 win at West Ham. Man City do Fulham 2-0 and Chelsea see off Leeds 3-1. Sunday, Crystal Palace grabbed their biggest top flight away win ever. 5-1 at West Brom, although Adrian's putting a large asterisk by that one. At Bramall Lane, Sheffield Wednesday fan Jamie Vardy consigned the Blades to their 10th defeat of the season. It's round 11. And Spurs did Arsenal 2-0 in the North London derby. And then, as we mentioned, Liverpool had that big win over Wolves. Monday, we'll see Brighton against Saints. Villa Newcastle, of course, has been postponed. Well... Uh, it's all very tight at the top. You've got Spurs and Liverpool sharing points at the top and Chelsea and somehow Leicester only a couple of points behind. Loads of teams in the middle. Sheffield United at the bottom now six points from safety with Burnley and West Brom with them in the bottom three. Just a point off Fulham 
and dry land. Shall we start with the North London Derby? You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. South Korean reaction there to the magnificent curled Sun Hyung Min opener against Arsenal, courtesy of Brad at Sublime Sunny. Thank you for that. That goal set up by Kane, of course, then Sun sliding it to Kane for him to thump it in off the crossbar. And that was that 2-0. Well, Harry Kane, first of all. Last week, we were having comparisons with Zidane and Totti, shyly from me. This week, I'm calling him the new John Charles. What do you all make of Harry Kane? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's in phenomenal form and he has clearly been, importantly for Tottenham, he's clearly had that pep talk, one of which was on the Amazon Prime documentary where we saw Mourinho um, allegedly talk to Kane one-on-one for the first time and he said, I want to make you a movie star of football and if you'll forgive me, I think I'm like that as well. Um, and he, he's kind of done that. He's he's writing the theme tune, singing the theme tune. He's doing everything. He's a kind of one-man attacking band. And I think that's probably what Jose Mourinho meant by that, that there were so many strings to Kane's bow that he didn't just have to be a, a penalty box striker or even a, a striker that drifts just outside the penalty area. He can, he can drop deep. He can interchange play. He can head away balls as well as Eric Dyer or Toby Alderweireld. And yeah, he, he is the complete package becoming the all-time top scorer in the North London derby, while at the same time having twice as many touches in his own box as he did in the oppositions. Dion, what do you think? Yeah, Kane is it's having an exceptional time under Mourinho. Um, I thought Son today, like the narrative is, is so much shaped around Kane that I think sometimes, like today, Son gets isn't valued and appreciated enough because... Uh, I think I think Jamie Radnap described him as as a great supporting act today when you know after the after the opening goal and it was that wasn't like Harry Kane obviously played a, a crucial role in the goal and and Arsenal should have done better to stop the ball getting to him but it wasn't about Kane that goal it was about Son and uh, the excitement around Kane is sort of is taking away away a little bit from that but I think I think there is a there is clearly a, a a potency to Tottenham and it's Daniel you know, talks about the the pep talk in all or nothing but there is this, this this sense that Mourinho has found a club again where people are, are are prepared to to listen to him and to buy into what he's trying to tell them about themselves and about him and and it, it's working like it hasn't worked for you know, I, I was looking at Spurs today and they reminded me of, 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 of all the Mourinho sides. They reminded me of, of Inter in 2010, that kind of, that sort of approach to the game and that, and that discipline with, the, with that very limited but very explosive creativity up front. Adrian, uh, that was a phenomenal opening goal from uh, Sun Hyung-min. Oh, it really was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you, can, you can question the defending, but the way that um, Harry Kane fought off the attentions of, of three different players. I think he, he took up a position between the two central midfielders. He, he shrugged off the attentions of Gabriel and asked Marcus Rashford. It's not easy to shrug off the attentions of, of Gabriel, but he made it look easy. And it, it was a simple pass, but it just opened up the, the pitch for Son to go and, and, and do his thing. And and it, it was a gift because Arsenal backed off and, 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 and allowed him to get into shooting range, but but once there, that was the finish of a player that went into the match with a sixty percent chance conversion rate. Just just ridiculous. I mean, I talked ahead of the game, so I was doing it for for Arsenal TV. I, t- I talked ahead of the game and said, well, hopefully he'll regress a little bit today with that with that stat because it's only a matter of time. You can't maintain that kind of lethalness, but. But he didn't regress. That he never looked like missing, and he was thirty yards out. It was it was a sensational finish from him. Reminded me a bit of a, a Thierry Henry finish, and that I think the camera angle on the television helped because it was exactly behind it. But it, it made it look like a, a curled pass, but a curled pass at such pace that Bernd Leno couldn't get there, and I don't think was set to get there. I think it surprised him how early the shot came, um, and just the way he set it out and got from 
position A, when he picked up the ball to position B, so quickly, so quickly, just the direct running at pace that made Arsenal defenders think, well, we haven't got a choice but to back off here because if I go towards him, he's just going to go past me at this pace. Um, seriously good. you know. He, and the other thing I think we should point out is that quite often with some, we think, how does he find so much space? It's because he's constantly moving. He's constantly looking for space. He knows where Kane's going to be. And therefore he knows if he positions himself 10 or 15 yards away in a pocket of space, he'll have the pitch open up for him. Mm. Well, the first half very much about those two. Second half, possibly from Spurs' point of view, more about the likes of Eric Dyer and Hoybier and Serge Aurier as well. But Spurs in first place then on Sunday night. They've had three clean sheets in three straight matches against Chelsea, Man City and Arsenal. And all of this culminating on Sunday in front of their first supporters since March. Amongst the lucky 2000 inside the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was Sean Cook from Talking THFC and TalkSport who joins us now on the line. Sean. Evening, gents. How are we? Very well. How, how are you? Uh, I'm over the moon, to be honest with you. I'm a very, very happy man tonight. So you were sat kind of, I would say, with the supporters, but in that kind of loose dotting of fans in, in the stands. Yeah, that's right, in, in the south stand. So uh, I was I was about 30 rows or so uh, up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, an amazing, amazing day. It was, um, you know... Uh, I get to see my team play again in the flesh for the first time since March, which was, I don't know if you remember that, that horrid FA Cup exit to Norwich I went and saw uh, back in March with Eric Dyer fighting fans in the stands and, um, you know, a real stark contrast to where we are now and the cherry on top, it was a North London derby win to, to send us top. So a bit of a surreal day, really. Mm. How surreal was it uh, inside that massive stadium, but only 2,000 of you there? I mean, I, I'll contradict myself slightly in that, you know, it felt almost like slipping on an old pair of slippers. Really, it was. It felt like a full stadium. There were, you know, two thousand fans, as you said. But um, in that, in that monstrous, you know, seventeen thousand seat to stand, the the acoustics they've got in the stadium now are, are incredible. And it felt like it was a full stadium. It it was an amazing atmosphere. And I, I don't know if you've ever followed your team away from home, but it felt like an away day atmosphere. It had that sort of buzz to it that. Um, you know, everyone was there to just just get behind the team, and it's something that I've experienced before. As I say, in you know, big away games at Chelsea and Arsenal, and it was uh, yeah, very different match day experience, and um, the the party atmosphere never really let up, and it was uh, you know, quite an interesting dynamic. Not having the away fans in the ground, particularly, it felt like we could sort of dictate the narrative in a way. You know, the it felt like that. Arsenal were very much there for us to sort of mess with them, really, because we could jump on them and, and they didn't really have anything to counteract that. So a very different experience, but yeah, an, an amazing one nonetheless. Mm. Well, in fact, they didn't really lay, lay a glove on you in, in football terms. And would, would you say this is one of the most satisfying, well, certainly North London derbies you've ever witnessed? I think so, yeah. And, and you know, we've seen this season as well and, and in the past few seasons with Spurs in that we do have, um, you know, a loss of heads sometimes in the the final ten. You know that that West Ham draw earlier in the season, a perfect example of that. And for us to be so resolute and strong, and everyone to build into to you know what Mourinho's trying to do there. And I thought Hoybier, for example, was you know good man of the match from the the TV channels, but he was just superb. And I thought everyone really bought into what they were trying to do trying to beat Arsenal. And if you look at them as a, a stark contrast with, you know, Arteta having to force Thomas Partey to, to participate almost, um, you know, to see us so resolute and, and strong and them the opposite, which, as you say, is just so satisfying. Brilliant. Well, it's Liverpool in 10 days' time, which is kind of looking like a title decider now, Sean. Well, I wouldn't go that early this early in the season, but uh, it'd be a, a really interesting game. You know, we, we've not got a great record at Anfield, um, but, they, you know, that, as I say, will be a real, real test. Considering we've had, you know, City, United, Chelsea and Arsenal already this season, you know, that that's the ultimate test. And I'm sure Mourinho will get them fired up for that, no doubt. Sean Cook from Talking THFC and... Talk sport, Adrian. So uh, the trap you were mentioning that uh, Arteta walked straight into. Well, yeah. I mean, if if you anyone that's seen Arsenal's last few games since switching to a back four, um, particularly against Wolves, a little bit against Leeds as well, they were vulnerable, especially down Arsenal's right hand side to, to breakaways. And I just thought that they would have done something to 
change something up to to maybe address that. I thought they might have gone back to a back three in this game, or to go with a, a proper three man midfield to to shunt, shunt across. But but it was it was really bold. I think Arteta went for it, and ultimately it didn't pay off. It did backfire because because Spurs hit them with two sucker punches that I think anyone would have anticipated really Tottenham were waiting they were sitting in there waiting to for Arsenal to come at them uh, and Arsenal were a little bit naive I felt in the way that they positioned themselves and made themselves vulnerable to the counters so yeah very very frustrating and then of course it flips around in the second half where where Spurs just sit in and, and do their thing and and Arsenal just didn't have that quality inside the final third. Got a couple of stats for you. Final third passes. Arsenal, 210. Spurs, 34. (laughs) It's just incredible. Open play crosses. 32 to Arsenal. Three to Spurs. Yep, Spurs were the better team. Uh, Spurs Spurs had a winning tactic. And Arsenal's Mm. tactic um, never looked like winning them the game. So this a little bit echoes what we were talking about on Thursday with Arteta's um, theories about maths and football, which you, you no doubt saw where he said last week that they put 33 crosses in and if, if they keep doing that, they're going to score more goals. It's maths, pure maths, and it will happen. Today, 32 open play crosses and yeah. it didn't happen. Daniel, I think you, 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 you wanted to weigh in. I on mean, this. I mean, more, more looking forward for Arteta, there, th- there are three things that really worry me. The first is, is obvious, is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, because it feels like another Meza Ozil situation in that they celebrated the signing of the contract without actually wondering what it meant for the club moving forward. What, what do you um, mean by that? Well, the, there's no point signing a player on £350,000 a week if you're not in the Champions League unless you're, you're going to build a team around him or build a team that gets the best out of him. And it, it doesn't look like they've done that. Um, the second thing that worries me is is William looks a dreadful signing and it's pretty clear that uh, Mikel Arteta pushed for that. And it's also clear that super agent Keir Drabchun was, was a big part of that and was therefore given, if not given the keys to the club, was certainly given some sway within the boardroom. That worries me because everything Arteta is trying to build is this all a, almost that holistic thing that Roberto Mancini once said about Manchester City it, it's the philosophy management it feels like everything has to fit on and off the pitch and that seems to me to jar with it and from today what worried me is that it, little things like set pieces like free kicks and corners it didn't look like there was any plan there like there was a the, Hector Bellerin has taken I think made five of the 16 foul throws in the Premier League this season it annoys me someone hasn't got into his ear and said please stop doing that and then the corners and free kicks, they, they took them short when they overloaded into the box. They took long throws when they hadn't overloaded into the box. It just looked like there was no planning there. It looked like someone playing football manager as a beginner when they just think this tactical work, but don't actually plan for it to work. Yeah, can I just jump in? on Inside the first minute, we saw a, a slight, what would appear to be a lack of planning. Harry Kane has built this reputation this season of dropping off the front to collect passes. Arsenal... Spread the pitch wide. They played a loose pass and left the, the entire midfield empty. With Xhaka dropping in at centre half, Thomas Partey dragged across. Huge great hole for Kane to receive a pass, and and and, and Xhaka rugby tackles him. It, it, I think from that moment onwards, I just thought, you, you wonder have they made the the right kind of plans for this fixture? It was a really strange one. But there was there was also in in when Daniel's talking about set pieces, I thought. When you saw Tierney taking a long throw in the first half, and nobody seemed to be expecting this, it was like watching, like you know, playing Sunday League, and a guy saying, "No, lads, I've got a long throw. Watch this," <laughs> and everyone's like, what, what, "Where does this come from?" Because the, the centre backs weren't there, um, and it, it wasn't. It wasn't even a very good long throw. It was like some guy who's really been working at home on his long throw and wants to roll it out at the weekend, and. Again, that, that kind of disjointed stuff, as Adrian says, like the fact that they, for all the talk of what Arteta is trying to do and this, you know, the Guardiola style, uh, not just in terms of a style of play, but in terms of, 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 of a philosophy of a club, that's not what you get from Guardiola. That's not what you get going out and seeing these elementary errors, these ele- uh, falling into these uh, elementary traps isn't what you expect from somebody who's going to be um, as thorough or as supposedly as thorough as Arteta is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. 
while Arsenal are currently lying 15th in the Premier League, 17th for goals scored. They've only managed five in their last nine Premier League matches and they have more points in the Europa League than they do in the Premier League. Same is true, by the way, for Barcelona with the uh, the, the Champions League and the, the Liga. But anyway, scant consolation that, I imagine, for Arsenal. Uh, anything else you want to say about this? Well, on that... Oh, on, right. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, while I'm here, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the most damning indictment I can really say about, about Arsenal as an attacking force at the moment, apart from sort of seeing it with your own eyes and, and, and seeing their struggles, is that Newcastle have scored more than Arsenal this season. This is Newcastle United, so you know who spend most of the season inside their own half. So, so you know something's not right at the moment, and and they desperately need to 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 find a a fresh formula going forward. I would say the most damning thing was that Mourinho was so relaxed afterwards; he was able to praise Arteta's approach to the game. Yeah, that's going to sting. All right, well, the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was one of many grounds hosting supporters this weekend. And not everywhere, though, with such positive uh, results. As you may have seen, Millwall's game with uh, Derby, some supporters causing widespread outrage uh, by booing when the teams took the knee before the start in support of the uh, No Room for Racism movement. I say there was widespread outrage, but actually his cabinet minister, George Eustace, uh, who says he's not going to condemn those fans because Black Lives Matter should be viewed as a political movement. Uh, that's his quote. Uh, Daniel, why is this so hugely disappointing? Uh, well, it's it's disappointing, firstly, because Millwall, as a club, try and rid themselves of this reputation by doing an enormous amount of community work. And the reality is, is that this is not just... It wasn't just a, a minority. It's quite easy to say it was just a few you know, a few fans spoiling it from the majority. It wasn't that. You could hear through the television. This was more visceral than that. There weren't that many fans in the stadium and the fans they were, uh, I'd say almost a majority of them were, were booing it. Um, it's it's hugely disappointing because to me, booing anyone protesting racism and systemic inequality in society is, that is a racist message. That's a racist action to do that. You know, mm-hmm. I, this this notion that, that that there were some Millwall fans who were kind of making some quasi philosophical political point about anti-Marxism, right? Uh, and which that's is nonsense. That's which I guess nonsense. is 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 I guess the line that this uh, George Eustace fellow. Yeah, and it's a very easy line because it allows um, it allows people to avoid investigation and and on Millwall's part introspection. Uh, I hope that Millwall don't avoid that. I hope they don't take that easy way out, and I hope that the statement they did make is swiftly followed by immediate investigation. Um, because if it's not, then that stereotype about Millwall fans exists for a reason, sadly. Yeah, and, and equally damaging is the fact that a member of the government is busy uh, enabling their behaviour by saying, well, yeah, no, it's just a, you know, a, no room for racism is essentially just a, a, a political opinion, which is, anyway, I think we all know what we, we think about that. Anyway, Spurs up on top of the table on Sunday evening. Liverpool up there with them. Just to finish off this part, a quick word about their performance against Wolves. Uh, Salah, Wijnaldum, Matip, and then uh, Mane provoking an own goal from Nelson Semedo. Duncan Alexander observing that Salah now has as many Premier League goals as Cristiano Ronaldo, but both men remain four behind Kevin Davis. So, <laughs> Dion, I did want to ask you, uh, I mean, apart from many other points about this game, uh, to pronounce for us the name of uh, Liverpool's excellent Standing keeper. I'm glad you got me on to, to do this. Um, it's Quiveen, Quiveen Keller, or you can say Quiveen, but Quiveen would be... Quiveen yeah, would be Quiveen. right. He's, yeah. he's, he's doing awfully well. He's doing fantastically. He's uh, you know, obviously played in the Champions League in midweek, the first Irish player to play in the Champions League game for 10 years. Really? Um, or nine years, yeah. And uh, so clearly, like the... You know the years when Ireland was used to having players at Manchester United, Liverpool. That has all changed, and Kelleher's rise, obviously, it's because Allison is injured, but him coming through has kind of has, has caused a huge amount of excitement, which in itself uh, demonstrates the kind of lack of players in some ways. But he has he's been excellent, and uh, I I would say to a degree has probably surprised some people with how good he's been. Uh, in the in the last couple of games, because there have been other matches he played where he seems to he seems to have come on his game seems to have come on a lot in the last year, and I think he's really um, 
the the performance again again tonight, especially in the first half when he had things to do. He did, he made he made one or two one great save, and uh, so I think it's it's. Um, it's encouraging when you see a player developing like that, and I, I, there would have been some apprehension, I think, from people when he was in when he was brought into the Champions League game against Ajax. But you know, those two performances now are going to be hugely important for him. Yeah, Dion. I think what makes it even more impressive is that this is his first real taste of first team football. We've not seen him out on loan anywhere. He's not been to a different club to, to toughen up and to get used to the. The man's game, the, the the real deal where you're playing for points, um, his, his temperament seems seems spot on, doesn't it? No, it does. It really does. And again, uh, like that is something I think you probably will see him going out on loan, uh, like once once this injury crisis passes. Uh, but it is it is it is extraordinary that he's come in in these pressure situations and at a, at a time when. Uh, you know, like it's not a crisis, but because of the injuries that have been suffered, there there is there is pressure and there is an awareness of or a sense that you know Liverpool could be vulnerable at the moment. So for a keeper, a young keeper, to come in and and for Klopp to make a statement of of picking him ahead of of Adrian, it's uh, it's it's a bit of pressure on the guy, and he has handled it brilliantly. Very nice. Liverpool then uh, two points ahead of Chelsea alongside Spurs. We'll hear about what Frank Lampard side got up to and loads of other Saturday stuff after this. Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Now, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus 4 Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. It's in plus begambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. It's a big week for Manchester United. They've got Leipzig on Tuesday. They've got the derby coming up with Man City next Saturday. And Lord knows how those matches will go uh, based on what they did last Saturday when they essentially played all the hits in their 3-1 win at West Ham. Uh, Thomas Suchek giving the Irons a half-time lead. United roundly described as abject, but then storming back thanks to the subs with Pogba, Greenwood and Rashford giving them a 3-1 win. Uh, have I got this right, Daniel? You have a team, they play really poorly, so the manager makes some big changes and thanks to his subs, they turn the game around. That's what you want from your manager, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is baffling. It really is. Because the first thing to say is that they they should have been out of sight by by half-time. West Ham. West Ham. Yes, West, yeah. I mean, Manchester yeah. United should have been buried. Um, and I... <sighs> I just can't work it out because this is this is the theme of Manchester United season. For for first halves, only Sheffield United sit below them in a Premier League table. They've got eight points by half time if games finish there, and yet in the second half they're second or third in the league and um, and have won each of their last five away games after conceding first. It's baffling that um, I mean maybe Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thinks well we're winning the game so yeah let's let's not worry about it. Um, at some point, I suspect they're going to come unstuck, and we saw maybe last week against PSG that if you if you don't react quick enough in matches or make bad decisions, for example, with with the Fred substitution, that it, it will come back to bite you. And right. better teams than West Ham should have done that. But yeah, it's hard to put too much of a negative spin on it, I suppose. Other than I would my doubt, and and perhaps it's my inherent already made conclusion that I, I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the best manager for that job, but. It just seems that it, individual magic in that team finds a way. Whether it's Bruno Fernandes, whether it's Pogba coming up with that shot, I don't know. And it, we're kind of wandering into the the boundaries of of 
philosophical argument because you've got managers like Zinedine Zidane and Didier Deschamps in recent years who everyone slightly suspects have been successful in spite of themselves or have been very fortunate to take on players who are able to drag them on, which sounds incredibly uncharitable and it does to Solskjaer as well. But there is so much talent in that Manchester United team that when they click together, they are they are majestic. And yet it, it seems like it's fits and starts. And I, I find it very hard to, to conclude on that, really. Mm. That first half um, described as uh, so wretched it made you wonder if the players were doing it on purpose. Can you can you put a figure for that? I mean, can you put a kind of a level of how bad United was it the worst United you've seen that opening 45 minutes? Dion, Adrian? I'd say it was, uh, yeah, I think I agree with what Daniel's saying about, about Solskjaer. I think it was one of those first halves where you're thinking, right, this, this is it now. This is finally the point when something will have to be done about, about, about Solskjaer. But uh, he, he kind of, United, possibly because, as Daniel says, of the talent they have, they do find ways a lot of the time to kind of keep it going and to just to keep that that dream alive. That sort of somewhere in the distance there is this sort of perfect Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Manchester United team that is going to to blossom. Um, but the reality is is this kind of uh, perplexing inconsistency and even even the substitutions almost seem like a reaction to the lack of the you know the failure to take Fred off uh, in midweek it's like this time I'm actually going to do what I should have done the last time and be decisive at half time now the first half obviously you you had to act too but it's uh, it is very hard to figure it out except as an, an indictment of of a manager who really doesn't quite know ex- what he wants from his team yeah. Solskjaer, of course, was one of the most famous super subs in English football history. Hmm. And it just seems as if he's got a feel for when to make these substitutions. I mean, you you can't ignore. For all his deficiencies, and and you look at their back four, and you think, where's the organisation? What have they worked on in training here? It's a mess. But, but, But his feel for substitutions cannot be ignored. Cavani the week before. Mm. He, he, it was a big call. It was a, it was a bold call to bring him on. Completely changed the game. In this match, double substitution. Okay, it's easy to make a double substitution when you've got Rashford and Fernandez up, up mm. your sleeve after that first half. But, but I think his feel for football is pretty obvious. And I think that that is, that is a real trait to have in football management for, for, for all his flaws. They're also a, a reflection of... of his management in that under him at Manchester United, they've gone on these runs of, of doing really well and they have those in games and then it gets sticky. And when it gets, as soon as it gets to the point where you think, as Dion says, this is it just at that point, you think it's over back. They come again. And that, so it's almost like a reflection of his management of the club as a whole is how they're doing it on the pitch, which is probably no surprise. The question is whether one of the richest clubs in the world should it's very entertaining for for me as a as a as a neutral, but it's whether the one of the richest clubs in the world should be happy for that to be the the standard, the kind of roll the dice football I've kind of called it before. That's right. the the biggest question. Although there are equally questions about what actually constitutes success for for Man United and whether it's found on the the football pitch or whether it lies in being one of the richest clubs mm. in the world. Uh, will we be seeing another of these this is it moments then? Over the next week, Man City coming up at the weekend, but on Tuesday, this trip to Leipzig. Now, we'll hear from Raphael Honigstein later on about RB Leipzig. Obviously, they were beaten by Man United at Old Trafford, but they have a brilliant record at home. Uh, They were in uh, Munich over the weekend and had a 3-3 draw with Bayern Bayern Munich. Uh, In terms of Man United's prospects, though, in this game... Obviously, they're capable of absolutely everything. There's one or two doubts about Marcus Rashford, a, a shoulder injury, uh, which I think he might have picked up in the in the PSG game. But also, casting my mind back to their last away game in the Champions League was that remarkable defeat away to Basak Shahir in Istanbul. What, what do you think, Dion, about Tuesday? Do you think uh, Oli's going to... He's going to bounce back again or, or what? Well, they just won, so he wouldn't be bouncing back for anything. But yeah, do you think that, that they're going to find their form again? I was looking at like the game against PSG last week. I was looking at that, that Cavani moment when he when he his chip hit the bar. Mm. bar and I was thinking, you know, everything about the modern Manchester United 
is encapsulated in that moment. It's like a beautifully seductive move. It's fantastic. And everyone is looking at it going, what a goal that would have been. You know, it wasn't a, whereas you could say Alex Ferguson's side, it would have been a goal and we would decide how good a goal it was afterwards, but Manchester United would have got the goal. Now it's like, that would have been wonderful or that could have been wonderful, but instead it was, it seduced you into thinking, you know, how great it could have been rather than actually just delivering. And I think this is a problem for this United side, but what do they want it to be? And what kind of United is a club, as, as Daniel said, you know, richest club in the world, what do they want? If they go, if they had a bad week this week, you would think, right, this is, this is a time to make a decision. Mm. Well, we see, they, they do only need a draw away in Leipzig, who they did, of course, beat 5-0, uh, actually tearing them up after Rashford came on. Adrian, the, the numbers, we should mention a little bit more about Bruno Fernandes, eh? Yeah, just phenomenal. Um, I was asked earlier this week for my player of 2020, Hmm. And he was the first name that came into my head. Bruno Fernandes, this is a player that came from, from Portugal. Into, he's coming to a new country, coming to one of the biggest clubs in the world that weren't firing on all cylinders. And he has been a revelation. He's carried Manchester United for the majority of the calendar year. A lot of this, this year has been spent with no fans. So it's been played in a, in a very unusual atmosphere. Yet he's been consistently the difference maker for them I just think he has been a sensational piece of recruitment you can you can criticize some of Manchester United's buys in the past Mm. but this has to be one of the best of obviously it's the best of this decade but possibly you know looking back over several years it's hard to think of too many better additions than than Bruno Fernandes in terms of instant impact well, and this match illustrated that uh, so very well, his, his impact on the team. Before he came on, they had three shots all from range in the first half against West Ham. Afterwards, he on his own created eight chances, uh, which is more than any player has managed in a whole Premier League match all this season. Remarkable. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's just he sees things quicker than most players in terms of he's capable of the, the one-touch flicks just to open up everything, sees the passes. Um, yeah, he's got great movement. He's not lazy. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that number 10s don't exist anymore, that in the modern game you can't have one because it, you know, luxury players can't be, can't be afforded. He is a number 10 in, in positioning, but, but he's no luxury. He, he, he's a team player that delivers uh, the silk uh, for the team. So, so yeah, I think he, he's been the player of the, the calendar year. Now, uh, Derby next week and Man City coming to it off the back of a 2-0 win over Fulham that leaves them a point and a place behind United in sixth in the Premier League. Hey, this is the first time all season that Man City have won back-to-back Premier League matches. Extraordinary. Also remarkable, Man City didn't make a single substitution in this game. That's the first time in Pep Guardiola's career that he's ever gone the entire 90 minutes without bringing a player on, clear influence of his mentor, Sean Dyche, who actually did this with Burnley <laughs> against Southampton earlier on this season. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about the 2-0 win over Fulham, Daniel? Uh, I can't pretend to say too much about that, but kind of on a general point uh, on the top six, it feels like the start of this season has been incredibly unpredictable. You know, we had the Villa Liverpool 7-2 and Man U losing to Palace, etc., etc. And it kind of felt like in this covid climate with a lack of fans that football might be a bit more unpredictable but as of this weekend now the the top six are exactly the same as last season's top six and and five of them have finished in the top six for each of the last four seasons so it kind of feels like whatever happens you will get Manchester City rolling out results like 5-0 against Burnley and 2-0 against Fulham and it just feels like everything's I said before we recorded to, to, to Adrian that I thought I now suspect that Liverpool and Manchester City might just finish as the top two exactly as last season and all this hoopla that we've had early in the season might just die down. And I I, I still think that, you know, I, I stick by that on air because it just feels that whatever happens, however many bad results these teams have, everyone else will go and beat everyone else and they'll still rise to the top. Wow. City are currently six points. Off Spurs with a game in hand. Top of bar. With a game in hand, that's true. Mm. Man United have a game in hand as well. They're only five points off the top, but they only yeah. do second half. So yeah, <laughs> right. Crikey, that's a that's a bit of a downer actually. <laughs> Sorry. No, not at all. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, 
bears saying, no doubt. Dion, are you, are you buying into Daniel's kind of dystopian vision of a kind of <laughs> grim... <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a truth to it. But I think the top six being the same is like top six is quite a broad church, really, in some ways. You know, like it's, there's a lot of room for like obviously the biggest clubs are going to be within the top six. But the fact that Spurs are there, um, it's funny that like, Mourinho is now the savior of football because, uh, you know, it's like, please don't make it be Liverpool and City again. And it's like, here comes Jose Mourinho to save the day. Um, and uh, it is it, it, there's something kind of revitalizing about Spurs being being at the top of the table. Um, but I think it, it, it's, it's there's still a long way to go. And it is still it's going to be such an exhausting season that I think it, it's not going to be uh I don't. I don't think it'll be the the sort of Man City Liverpool um, head to head that has been the last couple of seasons. I don't think City are are, are where they were the last couple of years. Um, I know they they win those games like you know Saturdays so effortlessly and almost anonymously. People barely pay attention to them, but. I don't think they are where they are. So I think there will be there will be some differences this year. I James, I think Chelsea. I think Chelsea are the are the pretenders to the to the throne, so to speak. I think they're the next best outside of, of Liverpool and City and, and might even nick runners up spot. And I say that because of what we're seeing, a, a team that's really improved tactically, but also because of their depth. Um that they've got substitutes that in a busy schedule they can they can bring in and and there's no real downgrade, and I think that's going to be going to be huge for Chelsea moving forwards. You can't really say the same about Spurs. Um, so for that reason, I think I think Chelsea have got more more chance of sticking around. Hmm. Chelsea with a three-one win Saturday evening over Leeds, and hard to know really how that game could have gone better for Frank Lampard. Maybe if Timo Werner hadn't pulled off the worst miss <laughs> ever in football. Am I being unfair with that? Can you think of a worse? It was the it was the dual nature of the attempts. I don't know what's gone on with him, whether someone's left. In an upcoming episode of uh, Golazzo, we, we're discussing uh, witchcraft in the Balkans and, and uh, how Sinis Mihalovic had these little kind of cloth triangles left in his apartment that caused him no end of, of disruption. And I, I can only imagine that a similar item might be lurking in his glove compartment, Timo, Timo Werner. Um, it, was, it was horrific, no? Oh, it was a great clearance, wasn't it? Tremendous. Um, but yeah, he's it's, it's, it's missing loads of easy ones, though. It's not it's not just a one-off, is it, with, with, with Timo, who yeah. seems to get tons of chances every game. Um, but but, but he, yeah, he's, he's spurning them. And you feel that, that he will eventually score hat-trick after hat-trick at one, mm. once it begins to click for Timo Werner. But, but yeah, we have seen strikers at Chelsea down the years yeah. come in with big reputations and flop. Haven't we? And 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 see their confidence badly affected by by misses like that. I just hope it doesn't happen to him because because I really like him as a player. Yeah, do you know? I think he's scored twelve goals this season in all competitions. So it's not like he's doing that badly. That's the funny thing. But you're right. He does seem to be completely messing up everything of late. Three Chelsea goals were scored though. Giroud, who's kind of the diametric opposite, scored all of Chelsea's last five goals in the Champions League and has now scored in his past six Premier League starts, the oldest player ever to do that in the Premier League. And Zuma, who's now Chelsea's top scorer in the Premier League this season with four goals in ten. Kurt Zuma has as many goals as Sheffield United this season. And, of course, Pulisic uh, was the other player there. Uh, have you guys got lots of love for Chelsea, Dion, Dan? Yeah, I, I thought what was really interesting at the weekend is, is um, how they dealt with that Leeds kind of man-marking press. Um the one player who or the, there is one player in that system who who is left free and that's one of the central defenders because Patrick Bamford was up against was up against Zuma and Thiago Silva and it looked like Lampard had said to Thiago Silva I want you to step up and be the kind of deep line playmaker because he just played pass after pass after pass to to the feet of of not just N'Golo Kante in central midfield, but to Mason Mount, to Hakim Ziyech and Pulisic when he came on, to Werner, to, even to Giroud, completed 51 or 55 passes and so many of them were forward into that final third rather than just backwards and sideways. And that 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 beat the press, it really did, because Leeds just couldn't quite get quickly enough to Chelsea players. By the time they'd done that, Thiago Silva had already played a pass into feet and they were through. And I just thought that was, well, firstly, really clever of Lampard. And second, which he doesn't get enough 
credit for often from me included but um also just shows exactly why they bought Thiago Silva not just for leading that defensive line and giving everyone a bit more confidence but he is he does have those passing central midfielder qualities as well as defensive he's he's a phenomenal player yeah i think it's it's interesting as agent said like chelsea do seem to get forgotten a bit when people are looking at title contenders um, perhaps underlining Frank Lampard's complaint that he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, but uh, it's, it's true, they are there and they're a, they are a potent team, really, that shouldn't be overlooked. I, I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it is because of where they've come from, the fact that it clearly seems to be, you know, they've, they've, gone, they've gone given Lampard a chance and he's not an established manager and there's clearly some time, there's going to be theoretically some time allowed to him. But... They are uh, they are there and they shouldn't be ignored in the title race. Mm. Leeds, in the meantime, won just two of their last seven in the Premier League. They got roundly shut down here and they line out 14th. Uh, eight points, though, off the drop, so that's not too bad. More weekend action on the way as we talk about Crystal Palace's biggest top flight away win ever. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Batshuayi leaves it to Ben Teke. Lovely turn, lovely strike, lovely goal. Christian Benteke at the double and Palace hit five on the road. That's right, early on Sunday, the biggest top flight away win in Crystal Palace's long, long history. It happened at the Hawthorns. They took the lead through a furlong own goal. West Brom then equalised uh, through Conor Gallagher. Then... Adrian, then what happened? <laughs> well, we saw a very, very soft red card. It, it should never have been so a red card, in my tell opinion. Tell us what happened. Mateus Pereira is involved in a in a sort of collision with, with Patrick Van Anhol, and he falls backwards, and the legs automatically push up. And we've seen it dozens of times before in slow motion replays where, where players then maybe kick out. You know, he's a donkey kick of sorts. We saw Son Heung-Ming get mm. sent off for something similar last season. I just think when you... Seeing as this was referred to, to the pitch side monitor for the referee, uh, Tierney it was, wasn't it? And, and, mm-hmm. and he had the chance to go and have another look. I, I was absolutely flabbergasted that on second look, he decided that that was, that was undue force from Mateus Pereira. For me, there's a, there's a minor piece of a minor push of the studs but there's by no means aggressive he could have really really lashed out there and it it wasn't a lashing out in my opinion for him to then go from yellow to to red I thought was was outrageous and it killed the game and it killed West Bromwich Albion's chances of, of getting anything from it I have to say that Palace are the worst team to go down to 10 men against because of Eze, because of Wilfred Zaha. You have to drop off deep. When you come up against two of the best Maisie dribblers in the division, when you're dropping deep, that, that that's a recipe for, for disaster. So so well played to Palace for, for profiting. But for, for me, the referee, it's, it's another example of referees getting a decision wrong on second look. And, and it makes you question their knowledge of football, quite frankly. Oh, uh, and the, and their feel for for what footballers. But but who do. would be better placed to to make those decisions, Adrian? Would you say? Well, I, I would I would very much be in favour of a, of, a, of a sweeping out of, of of the current batch of officials and, and for another group to come in to give them a chance because we've seen another so group often. of of whom. Well, another group of officials from the EFL, but long term. Oh, right. Yeah. But long term, I would I would like to see more players encouraged to to become referees. Now, I wouldn't want to do it, and I right. don't think a lot of a lot of former pros would want to do it. Maybe we've got to incentivize them. But 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 there is a there is a real lack of knowledge and feel with the match officials, and I think that VAR has exposed that really badly because we're getting to see things a second time in slow motion, and. Having seen it in slow mo, referees are making decisions that that baffle 
80-85% of football fans. Has this ever been trialled anywhere, getting former pros to act as officials to see if, if they were any better at it? Uh, I don't think so, purely because um, former pros have shown little willing. And I <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose it gets less and less likely as the, the focus on referees gets higher and player wages also get higher and therefore there's less incentive to, to take what, on what, another job. What age do most top flight referees start refereeing at? Yeah, early. Or young, yeah. I mean, but there were a lot, of, a lot of players come out of the game early, okay? So, yeah. so we see... Hundreds, hundreds every single season, you know, at top clubs, but right the way through the divisions that have been through the academy system. They've been effectively mini footballers or they've mm. been trained to be a footballer from the age of eight, nine. And then when they get to 18, 19, 20, sometimes 22, 23, they find themselves on the scrap heap. They, you're not, loads don't even get to play non-league. It's those people that I'm talking about. You can keep them in the game by, by trying to find a pathway for them. Now, I, would I have wanted to do it when I was in there? She's probably not. But but if we can find a way to encourage and, and, and to get these people on board, I think in the long term it will help. Because, yeah, I just, it just it staggers me some of these decisions that, that we're seeing on second look this season. It, it really has exposed um, the officials, in my view. It's a tough double whammy, isn't it? You're not going to make it as a footballer and now we want you to be a referee. <laughs> but that, yeah, but I know, I know. It's, it does make more, more sense now you put it like that, that it's, it's actually people who had some background but then never made it as pro. I thought for a second you wanted to raid the kind of the studios of BT Sport and Sky. And, and, oh, no, and you couldn't, you couldn't because there's, the well, there's beef, isn't there? And everyone, footballers, footballers that have made it to first two level have a history, don't they? And, and you don't want that to come back and bite them. I'm, I'm talking about people who, who never quite made it, but, but Robbie who, Savage with a whistle. Can you imagine? Oh, no, no, please, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, I went into journalism. You know, other, 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 certain footballers that, that never quite made it, stay in football as scouts and whatnot, but most leave the game. This is right. one way we can bring them in. That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, well done to Palace. 5-1 winners. A quick point on, on Wilfred Zaha, who, who wasn't yep. Palace's best player today. Eze was, was phenomenal. But just the, the Palace's record with and without Zaha. Um, in their, they've scored more goals in the last two games when Zaha starts than in the 19 games, the last 19 games without him. Wow. So they scored four against Leeds and five today, nine. And I think they scored seven in the last 19 without him, including the last two games in which they were dreadful. And Roy Hodgson's job, I think, was under some pressure. You know, Dom Fifield talked about that last week. Um, but such a difference. When, when you look at clubs like Palace, with them and that as a high, you, it's, it's that strength in depth we talk about with the biggest clubs, and we've mentioned it with Chelsea, just doesn't exist below them. And one, it, it, literally one player being absent can completely derail a strategy, um, particularly one like Hodgson's, which is pretty much counter-attacking football and soaking up pressure and... If, if players can double Marquese, then they shut down Palace. Mm. Mind you, that one player being absent works for some big teams as well, like Man United and, and Bruno Fernandes. Anyway, <laughs> poor old West Brom, with that defeat, find themselves still in the bottom three alongside Burnley, uh, a point behind Fulham, down in last place, Sheffield United, who are now six points from safety, having picked up one point from 11 matches. For an hour of their clash with Leicester on Sunday, it looked like they were going to double their points tally for the season. But then in the 89th minute, Madison slipped that ball between two Blades defenders and Vardy pounced on it and the Blades' hopes were shattered like that corner flag, which Vardy took out in his celebration. Chris Wilder's head, you no doubt saw the replay just sinking as uh, mm. yeah, he saw the the point. Yeah, of that well, it's, it's how football football can change. I mean, Chris Wilder, you know, I was I was one of many that were saying he's you know one of the you know brightest British coaches around, and I still think he's a very very good coach. But but you know, one point from eleven, you have to say that that the Sheffield United board might might be considering really? making a change. No, they must be. I mean, it's the, the team are. are not devoid. But when you look at, but when you look at them, do you think this is a team that's being really badly managed and they don't know what they're doing? They're a team that aren't a patch on what they were last season. Now I think that that the injuries have, have played a part. O'Connell's absence is huge, and the goalkeeper Henderson was so much better than than Ramsdale is, and obviously goalkeepers give confidence to the team in front of them. They are 
conceding far more chances, far mm. far more chances per game than they were last season. It's 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 crazy. They were they were so difficult to play against, and and they really aren't at the moment in this game on home turf. Match they've got to really make a statement in. They had four shots, four shots, one on target, which they scored from. They had thirty percent of the ball. Now Sheffield United, when they came up, were a footballing team. They were a team that 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 had a bit of a swagger about them that could mix it possession-wise with teams. And, and and that has dried up as well. I think I think it's confident. I, I don't think he's suddenly become a bad coach, but the players that he's working with have maybe lost a little bit of of their belief in his me- methods because of because of results. That's that's normal. We have also we mentioned their their difficult fixture list, but they have also played the team that finished sixteenth and seventeenth last season and the three promoted clubs. So there's not a huge amount left to feel pretty joyful about the the home point against Fulham is their only point so far the thing that worried me a few weeks ago about Wilder is that he 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 three weeks in a row he'd said the players weren't working hard enough and at some point as a player you're going to say hang on a minute we are trying our hardest stop taking the mick and stop doing it publicly because that is no way to motivate us it's almost as if that was always his thing his, his thing was always to kind of put down players jokingly in public but when you're winning games, you can accept that as a player, I'm sure. When you're losing games, it feels like you're being hung out to dry. And that's mm. that's a lot more difficult to balance as a player, I think. Mm. Well, bring in Sean Bean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, said, that said, it was one of the passes of the season that undid them. You know, you could say it's a, it's a battling point where they didn't play well. And then, boom, James Madison sees the pass early. Jamie Vardy's on the run. And I mean, that was that was... That was top class football from mm. from Leicester to to win that game. That was what that was what you call picking off the opposition ruthlessly. So so credit Leicester. All right then. And one other game this weekend. We've got Brighton Southampton coming up on Monday, but Burnley on Saturday lunchtime with a one one draw against Everton. Who do you remember? They had that they, they won all seven of their first seven fixtures. Since then, they've had one win in seven. They haven't kept a clean sheet since the opening day of the season. Only Sheffield United are on a worse run without one. And, uh, yeah, if they didn't have Dominic Calvert-Lewin, where would they be? Luckily, they do. So they are Czech's table in ninth. Mm. I thought that the goalkeepers played really well, actually. Pope and Pickford were kind of in the spotlight because it was they were on the same pitch, uh, numbers one and two for England, and, and neither had had the perfect season and and they were both excellent in the game so so that for me they rose to the pressure and I'm sure I'm sure Gareth Southgate will will be delighted about that I mean Burnley aren't as bad as their results have suggested I don't think and, and Everton clearly aren't as good as we all thought they were after a handful of games certainly not at the back I mean for, for Carlo Ancelotti to turn them into a top six team he has to a work on that defence a lot between now and January, and, and I think he has to reinforce with with one or two additions as well, because because that that collection of defenders isn't quite good enough. Yeah, they've tough tough fixtures coming up as well, Everton, and the way they it the way they've responded since since the Merseyside derby, really, which was their they uh, you know it would be a bit cruel to say they've been on the beach since they got a point at, uh, against Liverpool, but it did they did seem to build their season around the Merseyside derby. And uh, perhaps they did that a bit too soon, but I know James James hasn't uh, been contributing much. I think that was his last assist was in the Merseyside derby as well. So they do need uh, players to pick it up again. Mm. As you say, the fixture's not looking good. They've got Chelsea next weekend, then the midweek clash at Leicester, then they host Arsenal, Man United in the League Cup, and uh, Sheffield United, the Man City. Well, there's loads of fixtures coming up, but yeah, they don't look... They don't look the easiest, certainly the next few. Very good. Well, that's how it stands then at the end of match week 11 of this Premier League season. Very, very shortly, as I mentioned, Raphael Honigstein will be along to tell us all about RB Leipzig and what awaits Man United when they visit Eastern Germany this Tuesday. Before that, though, let's check in on Lee Price. Hello, listeners. Sassant le meilleur équipe. Ascend the alabestan Mannschaften. The main event. De Meister, de Besten, Le Grand Equipe, the champions. I didn't realise the lyrics to the Champions League anthem were so weird. They remind me of my language exams when I was younger, where I lost sense of what was French, what was German, what was just plain gibberish. At least it's pretty clear of the anthem. 
somehow Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's team go into the final round of fixtures top of Group H. That could be all change if our odds are meant to go by. Leipzig are 7-5 to to win. United are 8-5. to While the draw is 13-5. to It's nice when the numbers are clear like that, isn't it? For Real Madrid, we think they're playing out an extended version of Solskjaer's recent approach to United games. We make Los Blancos. Another language in the mix there, you're welcome. Odds on to beat Gladbach. Inter Milan are also odds on to win. And if I remember correctly, because seriously, my short-term memory's had it. They were talking about it like literally a few minutes ago. That combination of results would be enough to see the two big boys of Group B go through. And wouldn't that be disappointing? Oh, before I go, let me just read this here. I've got a note here. Uh, yeah, Bayern Munich are the favourites to win the Champions League. Yeah, I know. No sh**. See you later. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, the Toby Football League show is out on Monday. Lee Johnson is Sunderland's 11th manager in nine years. And he got off to a typical Sunderland start as the Black Cats hosted bottom of the table Wigan and had 16 shots to Wigan's one and lost 1-0. I'm not sure how that happened, but you can find out in the Totally Football League show. Tuesday, we'll see the Totally Scottish Football Show with no doubt much Neil Lennon chap. Uh, Also on Tuesday, the Offside Rule WSL edition and the Totally Football Show European edition in which we'll be looking ahead to the decisive final round of the Champions League group stage with Alvaro Romeo and James Horncastle and Julian Arant and Raphael Honigstein, who indeed will join us now ahead of Tuesday's big clash between RB Leipzig, the Leipzig side fresh from that 3-3 draw away at Bayern Munich, and Manchester United. Raphael Honigstein joins us for a quick preview of the two teams' clash on Tuesday. A lot of concern about United's prospects, but they did beat Leipzig 5-0 last time and they only need a draw. So it sounds easy enough. It does. It does, Um, especially if United can play on the break, which is really their preferred way of playing, especially in Europe. And it caused a lot of damage to Leipzig in the latter stages of the uh, first meeting that way. Mm, Leipzig against Bayern showed that they can compete at the very highest level, that they can score goals. But they also looked a little bit vulnerable themselves uh, defensively. So I think there'd be enough to take a degree of optimism into the game, but at the same time, think a bit of concern that the way that the game is poised with United, you know, being happy to maybe soak up some pressure and, and try to, to play on the counter-attack, it, is, it isn't the ideal um, you know, conditions for the, for their football to to come out on top. Well, Rafa, you mentioned uh, Saturday's 3-3 draw with Bayern Munich, which is a pretty exciting affair. Uh, lots to enjoy in it, and not least the uh, opening Bayern goal from the former Chelsea teenager Jamal Muziala, uh, which was fantastic. But, but generally, the performance from Leipzig, beyond the fact that it showed they're a bit vulnerable on the break, were there any things there that would, would give their fans uh, faith ahead of Tuesday's game? I mean, it was hugely enjoyable uh, as a game. It was thrilling. There were lots of goals. The quality of the football, attacking-wise, was was very high throughout. And there was lots of incidents, but none of the kind of negative things that you might associate with, with such a meeting. There were very few fouls. There was no argument. So it was all just a beautiful spectacle. I think from Leipzig's point of view, the fact that they managed to score three goals once more without a recognised centre-forward on the pitch will be seen as as a minor breakthrough, at least a um, kind of confirmation that they have found ways of, of scoring goals um, since the departure of Werner and, uh, and, and Schick. But at the same time, it also showed that they do remain vulnerable and they're not quite the, the, finished, the finished article. Uh, talking of not being quite the finished article, I don't think anyone expected uh, Jamal Muziala to come in and play as well as he did uh, halfway through the game when Javi Martinez was was injured. Um, he was playing in the num- sort of number eight position uh, alongside Leon Goretzka and he was outstanding throughout. He scored a wonderful goal. And, you know, a buying team without Kimmich and um, without the same degree of freshness and sharpness that we saw when they won the Champions League, still had enough to very nearly win this game. So I think for both sides, 
a degree of you know of positivity and 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 stressing all the things that went right or stressing the the fundamentals that are sound but i think having looked at that game maybe from a sort of slightly more man united centric viewpoint you also feel that leipzig are you know perhaps the kind of opposition that united should do well against getting that draw well indeed and last time they faced each other united did do well 5-0 i know that Four of the goals came late on in, in the match. There are one or two doubts about Rashford, who scored three of them, and his involvement on Tuesday. But beyond that, is there anything else that makes Leipzig fans faithful that they're not going to suffer the same kind of result this time around, that this time they'll come out on top? Yeah, you know, they take heart from the fact that they managed to beat PSG at home. They managed to beat Spurs at home not long ago. Um, a Jose Mourinho side that a little bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Man United loved to play on the break. And on that occasion, uh, Leipzig dealt with it very well. They hardly had any shots um, at all. Admittedly, with not not their best eleven on the pitch available, Tottenham that night. So, I think you know the fact that Leipzig can score goals, can score goals at this level, makes them makes them fairly optimistic. It's just whether they can, you know, score and and not concede goals against uh, the rapid counterattacks that United excel at, especially this competition. That that's going to be the big question. So, I reckon it's going to be a slightly cagey affair than usual. I think Leipzig have been have to be very careful not to to open up too quickly, not to do what they did in the first meeting when they were chasing an equaliser. They opened up and then got absolutely hammered on the break. But, you know, United haven't been especially invincible in recent weeks and months. So, yeah, I think Leipzig have a chance, but I'd make United's side favourites because a draw is enough and playing on the break really suits them. Raphael Honigstein, certainly looking forward to watching the uh, RB Leipzig Man United game in his company, along with uh, James Horncastle and Julian Lorenz if he turns up this week on Tuesday's The Goals Show. Of course, on Tuesday morning, we'll look ahead to that and all the rest of the midweek fixtures. I know one that's particularly caught your eye, Adrian. It will be coming in the Catalan capital. Yeah, Barcelona against Juventus. That's obviously, it's a great game regardless of, of where and when it is and the, and the context. Um, but, but it's Messi against Ronaldo, potentially for the last time on a football pitch. I mean, this, oh. this, is, this is a possibility, isn't it? Because, you know, they're, not, they're in the twilight of their careers. They don't play in the same, same league anymore. And I, th- I feel quite sad about it. I really do, because they've been... They've surely got another season. And Messi will go to PSG and then... <laughs> well, maybe I'm being premature, but I think there's, there is, there is a, I mean, it a could strong be, likelihood it? that this is, the, this is the last time they ever meet on the football pitch. And I, and I feel quite sad about that. But yeah... It's it sort of sparks that debate, doesn't it? I've been on a podcast this week, sort of scoring it, uh, boxing no, style, ten nine, no. um, Messi v Ronaldo, and 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 yeah, Messi, Messi just just edged it, I have to say, but um, but yeah, just I, th- I think it might be a game to tune in, tune into, just just right. on the basis that, that this might not happen again. Adrian made that sound like a threat that they were never <laughs> going to face each other again, which I like, sort of sinister <laughs> undertone to it. <laughs> well, that's how I meant it. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, it's going to be a delightful midweek of football. And the great news is that there's loads of really, really, really important uh, last round games in in, in Champions League group stage, not just the Man United group, but also on Wednesday, that insane uh, quartet of uh, Real Madrid, Shakhtar, you know, it's Inter and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, all of whom could uh, finish up fourth or finish up first. And it's all very strange. Anyway, uh, that's to come. For now, that's it for this Totally Football Show. So many, many thanks to Dion and to Adrian and to Dan and to you, listener. Do hope you join us for our very shows during the week. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.